If you're a content creator looking for a computer that can handle the tough restraints of your content production needs, look no further than the MSI Prestige 15. Create timeless moments with the ultimate six core processor for fast paced creators. Visit MSI.com. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Visuals podcast. My name is Prince and I am your host. And today's guest is the coffee-loving, light-chasing, intellectual junkie who is most inspired by a sky full of stars. Hailing from Calgary, Alberta, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, one of my favorite photographers and favorite people, Rachel Jones-Ross. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I bet you say that to all the Art of Visuals podcast guests. Not that exact <laughs> intro. <laughs> And they're not all my favorite. Only the only, I would say one in four are a favorite. And that's just because I've met a lot of you guys in real life and you guys are all awesome individuals. So you're also an awesome individual and it's really nice to see your smiling face today. Likewise, Rachel, why don't you start us off by giving us a little bit of background on yourself? Okay. Where would you like me to start? Um, wherever, as much as you'd like the people to know about the background of Rachel Ross. <laughs> um, well, we could take a deep dive, but for starters, I'm a landscape and astrophotographer. I am um, part of the Sony Alpha Imaging Collective. I teach workshops, and um, last year I started a project working on trying to spend 100 nights under the stars, which has been an extreme challenge and ended up being more like 100 nights under the clouds, but I gave it my best, um, so that was really fun and a big learning learning curve for me. What else would you like to know? You come from a whole entire different world. You have a PhD in psychology. <laughs> yeah. You're the first photographer that I've met with a PhD, first of so, all. PhD candidate, so not quite a PhD. I was in the PhD program when I started uh, teaching full-time. And I pulled the shoot, so to speak. But yeah, I have a master's degree in in psychology. And my background is actually in research. So I have papers that I've written and published on um, some of it driving research with older adults, um, some of it in the area of unforgiveness, if you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about didn't you do uh, didn't you do some work in relationship psychology as well? Yeah, so so I'm a social psychologist and with a specialty in relationships. So I kind of looked at the darker sides of relationships. I was interested in things like revenge and unforgiveness. And yeah, our lab really focused on, I mean, when you study the negative of something, you also learn about the positive of something. But um, I found it was really interesting to kind of dive deep into those more um, negative aspects of relationships. So, so I think you and I both had a conversation about psych multiple conversations about psychology <laughs> in New York City a few months back but I was curious personally how have you used psych how has a psychology background helped you um, throughout life and your career as a photographer uh, that's a great question I think the entire study of psychology is really um, a lot of self-reflection um, 
I think it comes up on almost a daily basis. I had a, a client that I took recently um, into a, a new challenging area for her, and she experienced a lot of anxiety going through that. And, you know, it's easy to go back to my psychology training. And, you know, and we talked about how the same kind of internal body things that happen when you're scared happen when you fall in love or happen um, at other times. You might get sweaty palms or your heart races a little bit. Maybe you're nervous to do an interview and it kind of feels the same as anxiety. And so when you, when you can kind of break down what's going on in the body like that, it can help somebody to deal with those emotions in a different way. And so, you know, work on lessening anxiety and, you know, stuff like that. So anyway, it comes up all the time. And uh, that was just the most recent example I could think of was, you know, guiding somebody one step at a time through something that was really challenging and and anxiety provoking for them and being able to frame it in a way that they could understand, okay, it's not as scary as maybe my body thinks it is. That's so neat. I'm, I can't help but sit here and the this tiny little brain of mine just starts racing and thinking about you, your photography, your workshops, your background in psychology, thinking about the current state of mankind. And we live in just very challenging times and, and, and people have lots of mental challenges, depression, anxiety, all these things people are dealing with. And have you ever thought about like combining psychology and your workshops and photography in like, in some type of like clinical type way, I feel like that would be the most amazing experience as far as like therapy for someone to be able to be out like in the Rockies hiking and just like <laughs> chatting with you. Cause you're so easy to talk to. And it seems like it would just be like the best of all worlds. Uh, that's really sweet. I think that, I think that it comes up anyway, whether it's, whether it's <laughs> intended or not. Um, there's always an aspect of, of that, I think a lot of people go on these adventures and go on these trips, not just because of the pictures, but because they need something else. You know, they need a break from their um, nine to five job, or they need a challenge, or they are working through some sort of heartache or whatever. And and so taking that week to be with me is actually a week to self improve as well. You know, right. there's an aspect of it already there, but I hear what you're saying. I think. <laughs> I think I would need more training um, for uh, in psychology, but yeah, my area was research. I'm I'm a very good research nerd, um, much less good with uh, the the talking somebody through something. But I did I did actually work um, as a crisis intervention counselor for a few years before I decided that research was my calling. When I was still looking at maybe going into clinical psychology. Uh I think you have more than enough life experience and education to be able to help, you know, to be able to provide some type of photographic outdoor therapy <laughs> for people. And I mean, there's various ways to going about it. I mean, like, look at all these life coaches, like they don't have backgrounds in anything you know, <laughs> except life experience. Right. So <laughs> anywho, I just think that would be awesome and a very, very helpful thing, you know? And so, if you ever decide to, to to do something like that, let your boy know. I'd love to, <laughs> to to be a part of that. Let's get into your photography background. So you've been a photographer for about three years now? 
I've been working full-time in photography. This is my third year full-time. And before that, I think three years part-time teaching. Mm -hmm. I started teaching when I was still teaching in university. So I was studying for my PhD. I was teaching classes. I used to teach statistics. <laughs> so if you ever have statistics problems, you'll have to go to somebody because <laughs> I've forgotten everything I ever learned. <laughs> but yeah, so I used to teach statistics and interest psychology and I taught a relationships class. And during that time, I started teaching photography part-time because I had people who were interested in my night photography, especially. And so I started by doing just, you know, a couple night workshops that were, that were like a weekend long. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was so much different than teaching in school because in school you have some people that are there because the course is required for a degree or you have some people that are, you know, genuinely excited to take a course but it's a real mix. And then there's marking and marking sucks. So when I started teaching photography and you're teaching people something that they love and giving them tools to like to bring their own visions to life, that is extremely rewarding because they're so into it and there's nowhere else that they want to be except for out in the cold or the snow or whatever with me. So um, I just started doing it more and more. And that's how I ended up where I am. That's beautiful. How did you how did you even get into photography in the first place? Oh, so I mean, I think like lots of people, I've always had a camera in my hand. But years ago, um, a friend of mine on Facebook, uh, did, we didn't hang out or know each other very well. But he's a local guy, Sam or he was posting photos of that's, the night. That's Tinder, not Facebook. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> That was jerk. I'm sorry. I could. I felt. I, I saw an opportunity to toss a good joke in. I had to go for it. That, that was good. Yeah. Um. So I saw him posting these pictures, and I and I just messaged him one day. I'm like, you have to show me how you you're doing that because like all these awesome pictures of the Milky Way and the night sky. And he said, well, I'm going out tomorrow if you want to come. So I did, and I got my first picture of the night sky on the back of a Canon Rebel of some kind, like a crop sensor camera. I had to borrow a lens from Sam and, and it was winter and I didn't even have a composition. It was just basically aimed at the stars. But when I saw that picture on the back of my screen, I was so overwhelmed and just, it just took my breath away because you can't see that with your eye. For me, it was like somebody had pulled back a curtain and allowed me to peer into the universe. And I was so completely hooked that I went and bought my first full frame camera and lens for Astro the very next day. And then I, I just, I was crazy about it. I studied it the way I studied my master's degree, the way I studied my, in my PhD. I just, I lived it every day. That's so awesome. Do you, do you, is that like a trait of yours? Do you typically just kind of go head into things that you're excited about? Or was this just like a special circumstance to where you just were so drawn to photography? No, when I love something, I, I put my whole being into it. And, you know, that's, I think, what sustained me in school for 12 years. I really loved psychology and I loved research. But, you know, things change, too, especially going through a Ph.D. program. I passed all of my candidacy exams and um, I've been working on this project from the time I left undergrad all through my master's and into my Ph.D. And when I got it published, <laughs> It was such a huge project. It was, I had over a thousand participants. There was seven studies. 
there were so many writing sessions and rewriting sessions and submitting to journals and everything. And once I got it all out there in the world, I didn't feel like I needed to do more research on this topic. So I kind of, yeah, it was at the same time when I was out photographing the stars and my love for the stars kind of out trumped my, my need to do more research. So are you, let me ask you this. Are you more fulfilled today doing what you're doing now than you were when you were doing the clinical research? I think everything has its time and place in your life. Um, I wouldn't want to be back in school right now and behind a desk. I love being able to explore the world in different ways. I think that when I was in school, it was still a journey of exploration. I just was exploring through books and I needed to be there and I needed to be home because I had young kids and now my kids are grown and I can get out into the world and explore in different ways. And that right now is with my camera and through travel. And I think this is where I belong right now. But I think at that time, that's, that's exactly what I needed. So. so being in photography now, you've been doing it for a while. What are some of the largest obstacles that you have ran into since embarking on this journey? Uh, that's a great question. After taking a month off to be home, um, I think my biggest challenge has been finding balance between home life and travel. I travel for me way too much last year. It makes it difficult to, you know, be in regular touch with my family. My kids are all a little older. They're 16, 19 and 22. So, you know, they're kind of doing their own thing and, you know, working jobs and in school for themselves and stuff. But it's still hard to be in touch. It's not like they need me every single day, but I need them too, you know. And when I'm away and I'm off, I'm off the grid and I have no cell phone service, then you know I'm I'm out of touch with their lives, and I need that balance. I need that grounding from home to keep me full, you know. So how do you? What do you do to try your best to keep that balance between home and and your career? Yeah, tr trying really to protect some of the time, like. You know, sometimes I, I have no choice but to be away for a prolonged period of time, and that's okay. But then that means that I need to then make sure that I have that balance of being home for weeks or a month or whatever I need to, to feel centered again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the balance has been the hardest for me. And um, last year with my 100 Nights project, it could have also called it 100 Nights of No Sleep, um, I didn't sleep very well, so... In my time off in December, I was sleeping like 12 hours a night. My body's like, woo, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can be hard to take care of my body and, and also finding that balance between home and being away. And the terrible thing is, is when I'm away, I miss home. And when I'm home, I miss adventure. So it's, you know, it's still tough to find that balance. Do you have like a window? Like I know for me personally, I can, I can do about three days. And I, and I, I feel great. Like I'm, I'm happy to be in my zone doing my thing, but like at the three day mark t going, you know, like curling into day four, I start to like totally like miss my other half. And I'm just like, Oh, like, what am I doing? I'm like, do you have like a, for sure. <laughs> so when I'm traveling, that's about a week. If I'm away for more than a week, then I, I get really homesick. If I'm away for three weeks, I'm basically a mess. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely the three-week mark. If I'm not home, that's where exactly where I need to be. Gotcha. Let's talk about your project. So you brought it up early, uh, earlier, 100 Nights Under the Stars. That was 
quite the 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 project. That's a big project. How did that come about? Um. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. So it came about because I was. I'm always outside, and and I'm. Can I ask I, you one thing real quick? Can we take a step yeah. back? Did we even yeah. did we even talk about what the project was? Like what the whole concept was behind the Hundred Nights Under the Stars? I'm not sure if we did, but I'll I'll try to okay. try to full picture. <laughs> so basically, I just had a moment where I was like, you know, um, I'm outside all the time anyway. I should make this into a project. I should make a, a you know a goal to spend. If I spend a hundred nights under the stars, just imagine how much more I'm going to learn and um, and experience and push myself and do a project that for me is really fulfilling. So I had an idea and and it really just came from a place of wanting to grow myself. You know, I, I love being outside. I love uh, night photography, but it's also easy to get stuck just doing the same thing or the same kind of thing all the time. So if you shoot a lot of Milky Way, maybe you do a lot of blue hour blends with Milky Way and, and it becomes kind of repetitive. But if you're forced into a project where you have to shoot at all kinds of different times and in all kinds of different light and whatever, you're going to learn new techniques and see things differently. And for me, it was a challenge to grow. And I definitely, <laughs> like definitely had to grow <laughs> because I basically didn't see all that many stars last year. I saw a lot of clouds. And I did a lot of low light photography and I learned how I learned that actually one of my favorite things to photograph now is um, during a full moon and twilight. So after the sun's gone down or before the sun comes up about an hour, um, you can still get like beautiful underlighting in the clouds that's pink and glorious. But if it's still astronomical twilight, you still see the stars. And so my favorite thing to photograph right now is when the moon comes up and underlights those clouds and you still get that twilight color and then you still see the stars. Like for me, it's kind of like seeing sun, sunrise or sunset at the same time as seeing the night sky. And I just find it super fascinating. And I also love the way moonlight reflecting off of or kind of bouncing off the clouds can be so soft and, and paint a landscape much like you would see during golden hour and I, yeah, so it's my new favorite thing to photograph. I, I love that. I love, and, and that's a cool time, that shift between night and day. Is this photo of Death Valley on your Instagram? Is that one of those moments? Mm -hmm. it, um, it looks like it's at night, but there's like definitely pink clouds. Yeah, so then it would be a twilight shot. I don't do any um, blending of sunsets and astro. So if you see something on my feed that looks like pink clouds or whatever, um, with along with the stars, then yeah, that's definitely a twilight shot. That's so rad. I love that. Like, I like that style a lot. And you don't see like tons of images during that time of day. And yeah, so it's and really think, neat to see. Well, also it's neat to experience because your eye doesn't get to see that, right? right. Our eyes you know, once the sun goes down, um, we basically see in black and white. We don't even get to really see color unless there's a lot of light still. For me, again, it's it's like that first time that I shot the Milky Way. You know, you just see this explosion of color and light and stars. And, and we're like, wait, what? Like, my eyes don't get to see that. So it's so um, it's such a cool moment to experience. So was the so a did you did you finish the project? Did you do 100 nights? I definitely spent a hundred nights outside. I have not finished editing, so I have no idea where I am actually <laughs> in that project. 
I have a feeling we'll be extending it into the new year a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I was out shooting all the time, but whether I actually saw stars or not was like a whole other thing. I, I was in South America last year and it rained for 16 days straight. And that's when I learned that my Gore-Tex wasn't actually waterproof. <laughs> no. But, so, I mean, when, when you get conditions like that, it gets, it can be a real challenge to even find, you know, something to shoot, even if there's no stars. It's funny now because now I have this criteria. If like, if I can see like four to six stars, that totally counts. You know? <laughs> That's such a bummer about your jacket. Freaking crooks selling you a Gore-Tex coat that's not truly Gore-Tex. Well, no, it, it was Gore-Tex. It's just that if you have been rained on for 16 straight days, it takes, you know, it takes on some water. Like it's, Okay, it's, so it wasn't the jacket. Okay. So it's like... I'm thinking like day you know, one, you're drenched. I'm like, that's terrible. <laughs> well, by day 16, I was definitely drenched. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and it was cold. So... Let me ask you this. What did you learn from that experience? Like that, the 100 nights under 100 stars, I mean, it's cold, you're up late. Uh, that's a just a big project. What, what did you take away from that, like as a human? I think you, well, I learned some of my own limits. You know, I can definitely push for a long time on little sleep. And most of the time, those moments are temporary, you know, being cold, it's temporary, being sleep deprived is temporary, you can sleep later, you can sleep in the day. Um, so I got to a point where I was like, it's okay to be cold, like, that's fine, I'm going to be warm in a few hours, or it's okay to be a little sleep deprived, I can catch up. So you kind of learn some endurance, I suppose. Um, and yeah, you just figure out. Yeah, you figure out where your boundaries are, what your limits are, and um, and that you can push for a good a good long period of time. I, I love it. So you and I, we shared a special moment a few months back. So we did an event with Sony in NYC called Sony Creative Space, and you were you were the photographer for uh, our gallery, and that was like such a a surreal moment walking into this beautiful room all black with these massive what were those like 75 inch like sony flat screen like super high def televisions with your images displayed and there was about i think 12 monitors that we had in there what was that like walking in and seeing all of your like best work in one place being shown to all those people so that, yeah, that was the 100 nights project. And I had some of my favorite moments were on those walls and on those screens. It was so overwhelming, as you probably know. <laughs> so just so you all know, I didn't even really, Prince was introduced to me like five seconds before this all happened. And, and I had to go on and do a presentation five minutes later. And I had you know, I had updated my slides. So I'm in the back with, with the sound guys trying to figure out why this one doesn't have sound and, you know, oh, the text, the font all shifted. So I was all panicked about this presentation, which was about to go very awry. And I got this quick introduction to Prince and I'm like barely even registering what's going on. And he said, have you seen your gallery yet? And I said, no. And he's like, okay, well, come with me. Let's go have a look. <laughs> and so I follow him into this room 
and it's like it's huge and it's all my work and it's just like it was so to have it all in one place like that it was so moving and I just started to cry so I'm like going on to do this presentation in five minutes I've got tears like I have big crocodile tears I'm just (laughs) trying not to fall and have makeup running all over my face and yeah I felt like I was like like a scared little rabbit actually (laughs) but I was like that moment is going to live with me forever. I'm sure like it was just so cool. And yeah. And the start of a really beautiful friendship too, because then I got to hang out with you and spend time with you and, and get to know you. And it was, yeah, it was such a great event. It was, it was definitely an amazing time. Very grateful for uh, that experience. And I'm excited to see you again soon at Cando and hopefully before Yes. Well, I might have to come do some scouting mission in Idaho. Yeah. (laughs) Let's go. Speaking of Kando, speaking of Sony Creative Space, let's talk about uh, Sony Alpha Collective. So you are a Sony Alpha Collective member. What does that mean to you? What is it, you know, what is being a part of the Sony Alpha Collective all about? Ah, it's, um, it's been an amazing experience for me. Really, it's about the community that I get to be a part of. Um, I've had such amazing, incredible support from Sony in my projects. You know, they supported my 100 Nights project. When I do workshops, they'll send gear for my clients to try, so they'll get to try cameras and lenses. If I need something, if I need help, or if I'm, they're definitely there for me in that regard as well. But then there's the collective and this whole group of amazing creatives who I get to call family, really. Like I can, I have so many couches I can crash on or, <laughs> you know, couch surf if I needed to I travel and people to collaborate with. And yeah, it's been really cool to be part of that. And then also to extend that to my community, you know, and, and bring my community into that fold. I don't know if that made sense, but no, that's I, I love that Sony. No, I mean I think that that was a great definition of of what it means to be a part of the Alpha Collective family. It's definitely it's really cool to see. Uh, I'm not personally affiliated with the Alpha Collective as far as like involved in the Alpha Collective, but obviously we do a lot of. Uh, we're definitely partnered with Sony. I love the brand, uh, and we get to work with the brand in, in really cool ways. And the same reason you're a part of the alpha collective is the same reason why we do so much with Sony is because it, it is very much so communal and family oriented. And, uh, mm. you know, one of the few brands in the space really building and growing and engaging with community. And so it's always a good time. I wanted to talk gear real quick. I, I imagine you shoot on Sony gear, but I'd love to just to hear your setup and, and what else you have in the bag outside of your camera. Okay, so I shoot mostly with the Sony a7R 3 I have two of those bodies. I've used many Sony cameras. I started off on the A7S when I was doing portraits of couples, like engagement shoots under the stars. That was a wicked camera. And then I moved to the AR2 until the AR3 came out. So once I got my hands on the Sony a7R 3 the battery life, the autofocus, everything made this a 100% all-around camera for me, and so much so that I ended up getting a second one so that my second body is the same um, as my primary body. Um, I often shoot 
with two cameras. So I might set one up for a time lapse um, and then, you know, go and use the other one for stills. And then I got my hands on a Sony a7 III and I've been working on some video. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's going to be a long, slow um, learning curve for me to get into video, but I love it. I mean, it's been really fun to to try to, you know, video is completely different than stills for me and uh, having that motion and like when when does it make sense to pan a scene or push or pull or you know like when does that motion make sense in video is always a good question for me but I'm having fun learning and I'm having fun learning how to edit it so I feel like I've, you know the more I learn the better I love being challenged that way so good I'm curious what do you what do you what would you say were the major differences uh, between photo and video for you? Uh, well, photo is basically second nature. I can, I can show up on a scene now, especially with a wide angle lens, and I can look at that scene and I already know what focal length I'm going to shoot it at. I don't even have to pull out my camera. Um, I can zero in on a foreground in like two seconds or less. You know, I, it's, very second nature video is I'm, I'm all fumbles, <laughs> you know, um, you have, you just, you're looking at the world in a different way. You're looking at it with motion and you're looking at it with different visual cues. Like it's not, um, you're not looking at a two dimensional image anymore. You're it's capturing the world in a whole different way. And, um, yeah, so it's a challenge to know sometimes how to do that, you know. Most definitely. I, I'll get a moment and then – so I have that moment and it's great. But then afterwards I'm like, oh, I wish I would have just panned off to the right and shown like a little bit more of this, you know, background behind this moment or whatever. Like sometimes you just don't know <laughs> what it is that's going to tell the story the best, so – Right. Yeah. Videos. It's, it's, it's a different animal. So it's always fun. You know, there's lots of photographers making, uh, wouldn't necessarily say making the switch, but adding video to the, to the toolkit. And it's always fun to just hear their experience and their perspective and how things are going because you know, it, it does seem to be, I did the opposite. I came from video to photo, which I think was a lot easier. I feel like a two-year-old, like I'm just like starting all over again. It's like learning how to walk with video, you know? But that's exciting though, because you get to like, you get to play and experiment, which I think is really like, that's the whole point of being artistic is to like play and feel like a kid. Yeah. Well, I was doing time-lapse and I really enjoyed that because, you know, it's a whole different experience looking at a time-lapse than it is to look at a still image. A still image is just this small fraction of a snapshot of a moment, you know, and time-lapse was really for me to look back at a time-lapse. It just kind of, I get to relive it in a different way. And so I kind of went from that to, okay, now I want to do video. And it's been great because all those moments in between when, you, when I don't maybe have the great light, I can play with a video and, um, and again, just capture my experience in a whole other way than I could, with my still images. So, all right. What about, I saw, I don't, I'm on your site now. I'm looking at your gear list. I don't see it, but I, I swear I was somewhere earlier and I saw you had like some Astro trinkets, some type of. So I use, um, 
some low-level lighting sometimes when needed, especially like out at Abraham Lake with the bubbles or that kind of thing. Um, it really helps to be able to light up the foreground. And I have some lights from B&H. Um, they're called the Luxley, Luxley Viola uh -huh. is the size that I have. And they, you can um, set the brightness from zero to a hundred percent. So it has 99 different brightness settings. You can set it to a particular color temperature. So if I want to shoot in a really cool temperature or a warm temperature, I can choose any color temperature that my camera can shoot. Um, or I could put it in like, you know, a color mode or I can make it strobe. I can mount it on the top of my vehicle and make it look like police lights. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that's a, uh, probably one of my, um, my best tools outside of my camera for doing astro rad let's talk about social media <laughs> um <laughs> so i find so a you've been photographing for professionally or full-time however you want to describe that about three years you only have 166 photos on instagram which depending on who you are, most people listening to this podcast are like on Instagram and know that's not really that many images. Lots of people are posting every single day. So the same person posting every single day for three years would have, you know, 900, a thousand something images. And so I'm curious, but yet at the same time, you got, you know, 72,000 followers, great engagement. How did you build your Instagram following? Um, okay, well, that's a great question. So I think I got on Instagram at a time, you know, um, before it was acquired by Facebook, when it was a little easier to um, have reach, really organic reach. I remember it way, like way, way back in the day, um, I posted a picture of Emerald Lake Lodge, and I think I had a 1000 followers or something. And it got 10,000 likes on it. And Sam, the fellow I mentioned earlier, he, he wrote under there, it might still be on there, we'd have to go look. But he said, how does this thing have 10,000 likes when you only have a thousand followers? Like, I don't even know how that works. <laughs> uh, so it was a time when you could get reach. And I had a few photos that went viral um, that year and viral, like, you know, where they were shared on a hundred different hubs. And I find that that's a lot harder to do now. So my growth on Instagram has been much slower in the last few years. I think it, it maybe grew 10,000 last year. But it was nothing for me to pick up 10,000 in a month in my early days on Instagram. So a lot has changed with Instagram for sure. And part of my, my account growth has been that I was just on at a lucky time and had a few photos that, that got a lot of attention. Gotcha. Sounds valid. <laughs> and now, you know, like I, I realize that, you know, it, it's really valuable to have a good following when you're working with brands. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that Sony and B&H photo um, appreciate that I have good reach and that I have good engagement. But for me, I really look at Instagram as a, a place to find community. Um, you know, I find people that are like me and, um, and love to be outside and, and doing the kinds of things that I'm, that I'm doing. And it's great to build those relationships. I've some of my best friends I've met through Instagram. So I love it. Uh, and my focus is just different now. So I still, 
you still think, okay, it's okay, guys, it's been a month since I posted and every day for the last week, I'm like, I really should edit something and get it on there. But you know, at the same time, I've been doing stories and, yep. uh, and I've been, you know, somewhat present. I, I did take some time in December to not worry about that and focus on my family. But yeah, um, I really just try to look at it as a place for connection. So I don't worry about the growth too much. And if I think if I'm doing what I love and um, and I'm still passionate about what I'm doing, then it's going to grow along with me. So most definitely. Um, I love that. I love like you're just a prime example of how you can succeed on social media without posting all the time. Like a lot of people think that they have to be sharing content every day, twice a day, three times a day, whatever it may be. And so it's, it's always refreshing to, to, to see someone like yourself that's doing well and succeeding, but not necessarily playing by the same rules that most people think they have to live by. Yeah. I do love what you've been doing on your IG stories lately. I think it's really cool seeing you in video format doing your storytelling. I think you're like super authentic and magnetic personality. And I'm sure you probably get lots of messages from people that are just like, oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with you. Like, <laughs> you're so awesome. Um, and I think that, I think that's going to, I mean, I guess, I mean, I assume that's doing well for you is, are you feeling yeah. the same way? Like, yeah, very much. Um, so I love the video right now. Um, I love using video and I'm still kind of, it's a mix between what I take on my phone because that's usually the one that I have in my hand, especially if I'm hiking or something, but I've also been getting out the big girl camera for the video and, um, and I love putting those clips together and I love, uh, for me to do, you know, most of them are friends or, or people that I've really enjoyed working with and, uh, and to be able to relive those laughs and smiles and everything. It's just like, just makes me feel good. So I'm just doing stuff that makes me feel good. And hopefully, you know, other people respond to that as well. Dig it. What about, uh, what are some good photography tips that you would love to share with amateur landscape photographers? <laughs> okay. So I guess like the number one thing that I tell people all the time, and, uh, you can close your ears if you've actually heard me say this before, but, um, don't set up your tripod the minute you walk onto a location. So if you're looking to take photos of something, I totally encourage you to walk around with your camera, take 20 handheld shots. It doesn't matter if they're blurry or not. You're just looking at compositions and just looking at things through the lens of your camera. Your camera at 12 millimeters, that is a totally different view than what you get to see with your eyes. So when you start looking through your camera, then you can see, oh, if I just move a little bit this way, this, you know, this is how it affects the foreground, or this is how I can stretch that mountain or, or whatever the case may be. So really move around and don't, don't commit to your tripod until you found a shot that makes your heart flutter. And then once you have that, then put your tripod down and set up for your shot and wait for the light and all of that kind of good stuff. I love it. It's like having a bag of popcorn before dinner. It's like pull up <laughs> to the location Pop a few corns, take a few nibbles, find the spot after you're done, get rid of the popcorn and prepare for dinner. Like that's it's main course time. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was a really reckless analogy, but sometimes I just have to go with what's in my mind. <laughs> On the business side of photography, how does a photographer like you create an income? Um, most of my income comes from doing workshops, but I also do lots of other stuff. I 
do work for, I work for commercial companies, like um, worked with Acura last year. Um, I do, I speak at conferences and. Uh, what you're amazing <laughs> at, by the way, you are um, a phenomenal live speaker. I, is that because of like, do you think that has to do with your teaching background? Okay. Let's just get something straight. I am most definitely not a phenomenal live speaker. I have good days and bad days. And let's just say that I can't look at any of my stuff that's already online because I'm like, I, I just like can't hear myself talk. But um, You killed it in New York. Just well, saying. I was super nervous. Well, okay. I wasn't only super nervous. I was just like completely frazzled and like wiping tears <laughs> when I went on. So... Um, that definitely took me a minute. I find that um, I'm I do best when I'm speaking if I'm in a room where the door is closed and like you know and it feels like you're talking to a room full of people. Um, the trade show sort of vibe where people are like walking by and doing other things. It's really unnerving. So yeah, that is I, tough, right? You feel cheap too. You're just like you're just <laughs> like it's like being in the middle of like a traffic. St- circle and yeah. you're just like giving a speech <laughs> yeah. this way to my talk yeah. you know? <laughs> um, so yeah i don't know but yeah i guess going back to psychology i used to have to d- give talks and presentations and and stuff i was talking about was way more boring so um you know it's really hard to make uh um statistics sound super interesting but when i get i get to get up there and tell stories about some adventure that i went on it's that's just fun for me so uh, that's beautiful i love that what about so you recently did a ladies retreat talk to me about uh your why behind doing a specific photo retreat for women okay um over the years, I've had lots of women will say, oh, could, it, could I do private lessons with you? I was interested in this group workshop that you're doing, but I don't think I can keep up with the hiking. I don't want to hold anybody back, that kind of thing. Um, I've met women who have been told that they like literally just can't do something. You know, One private client I had a couple of years ago, she um, had told her, kid's dad that she wanted to go and and work with me and he said well you don't even like to drive by yourself and it was like a 10-hour drive I don't know lots of women get told what they can and can't do or what they're capable of and I think there's a lot of sort of fear and anxiety about getting out and doing something as maybe uh, so I'll use an example Night photography can be a little bit intimidating for women to be out by themselves at night. We're basically told our whole lives that we're not safe at night by ourselves. And yeah, getting over that message and feeling confident and secure being out there and being by yourself is really, it's difficult for a lot of women. And, you know, kind of all of these things put together, I wanted to create a space where women could connect with each other and create community and find support in one another in and in common experience and common um, common goals and you know just offer a safe space for people to feel oh, a, a little anxious about a hike or the deep snow or being out on the ice or you know whatever the case may be so that's that's the why um, I love that 
And um, yeah, this last group of women that I had was so phenomenal. Like I, I basically have four sisters now, um, even though one's in Australia, one's in Scotland and, and two are in the U.S. Um, I connected with them really well. And selfishly, that's another reason why I wanted to do these workshops is, you know, I'm looking for my community as well. Um, but we just, you know, we just had a really, we had a really good time despite some really difficult circumstances when the ladies arrived it was minus 40 it was celsius like it was cold it was the kind of cold where uh the first girl gets off the airplane and goes to hop in an uber to her hotel and breathes in the air and like we all got sick so i don't know we all got the flu um it was minus 39 celsius one day out at abraham lake it's the kind of temperatures where you can't take off your gloves or can't take off your face mask or that kind of stuff. Um, but really cold temperatures lasted about a day and a half and then it got warm. It was beautifully warm and we were all sick. So mm. I'm still, I still have a little bit of my uh, chest cold, but um, yeah, they rallied. we we slept probably three and a half hours a night, <laughs> like towards the end. Cause we were just so excited about getting, um, conditions for astro. We got some amazing astro. We did sunrise. We did sunset. There's lots of driving in between, and um, and seeing everybody kind of rally and help each other was really awesome. It was to the point, kind of at the end of our week together, where we all had the same bug. So one person would like break out the Sudafed, and it was just a round of Sudafed for everybody. And um, and I introduced the ladies to Buckley's Buckley's cough syrup. You don't have that in the U.S. Is a Canadian thing? It's a Canadian thing. <laughs> the slogan for this cough medicine is, it tastes awful, but it works. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we were just like, you know, sharing a bottle of Buckley's. Um, not quite the bottle that you imagine sharing when you, you get together with friends, but um, <laughs> it, was, it was comical. And, um, and just the support that we got from each other and... Uh, it was great. It was a really good experience, despite being sick and despite being super cold when everybody arrived. All right, that's so badass. What do you? What, what's the vision? I guess what's if if let's just say you had all the money in the world and resources. Like, what would you want to do with this women's photo retreat? Like, what would that? Like, do you have like a bigger? I just want to empower women to feel like they can get out there and do stuff that that we're a lot of us have heard our whole lives that we're not, you know, can't do, you know, we're called the weaker sex or the fairer sex, you know, and I've, I've been in situations where I've been in groups where I'm the only women, only woman on the trip and it's intimidating, you know? So right. I just, I just want to give women that experience of, of success and, um, and being in a community of people that are looking for the same, same thing as them. Especially in this creative, like in a creative field, I feel like, it's so weird that even that space is male dominated when you like in my perspective, I feel like all the the women creators that I meet are so much better and more detail oriented and like the guys are like my girlfriend's a phenomenal photographer. She was shooting a wedding at some point last year as a first shooter and she was like in their little pre meeting, she was like the priority. But there's a videographer there and he was a guy. And I kid you not, like I had to hold myself back. I almost snatched this dude by his neck because he just kept like walking in front of her, messing up her shots. Like he basically like she was non-existent to him. He was like 
because he was a guy basically he's just like yeah you're like you're just not that important and i know what i'm doing and you probably don't even know how to work that camera and i'm gonna get the best video even though like the photographer is a priority (laughs) you know and it's just so weird when you see things like that it's frustrating but i also don't have an like a clear answer on (laughs) yeah i don't have a clear answer either but i do feel like it's there's a really positive shift going on um in our creative space in it, and Sony is probably the very best example of that. You know, this right. whole uh, focus on building community over, you know, it's not the same as it was. Um, I don't think, it, I think photography used to be very competitive. And Sony is changing that just by creating these community spaces. And I guess going back to where the women's workshop started, it was partly um, when Sony first put out the Sony Alpha Female creator in residence program, you know, they asked us, you know, what would we like to see? What would, how, how could, um, how could we be involved in this, in this movement as well? And for me, the answer was workshops. That's what, you know, I, I like to teach and, and if I can create a space for women that allows them to, um, be their, that best version of themselves and that would be amazing. So it, that was part of how that started. But yeah, I think there's a definite shift going on um, in our space and and um, and that it's getting better. So I'm positive. I'm optimistic. Uh, I'm excited. I hope that uh, through AOV that we can collaborate with you uh, more on, you know, these types of initiatives in the future and, and come up with some some cool ideas on how we can be more involved. That would be amazing. I'd love that. I wanted to talk to you about. So tutorials was another way that you produce income. I know a few other people, you know, Michael Shane Bloom, Nick Page, lots of others that produce uh, various tutorials. And I'm always curious. It always seems kind of hit or miss on how well tutorials do as far as like a revenue stream goes. How has that experience been for you? Um, For me, I I basically produce tutorials um, for specific purposes. So um, a lot of the stuff that I have up on my website is stuff that my students get when they sign up for a workshop. So they just get access to that. And I find that if they get to see that tutorial and they know how I'm using those images, then when I tell them to focus stack something that makes sense to them when they come and they can get more out of, you know, a one-on-one a one on one or a group workshop with me. Mm. So typically my, my tutorials are aimed at my workshops my workshops and um you know sometimes i record my video editing workflow for whatever reason um and then i just and then i just share it so it's not a goal of mine to really make money with those it's more like you know creating a resource that can help people that are working with me so right i love that that's so rad for them to be able to get to hear your voice, get familiar with your process, understand your language so that when they do show up, uh, they're probably, they're already kind of immersed in your culture of how you do things, which is awesome. So I have this one video that I show how I, I shot and, and focused act and, and did like exposure blending at Emerald Lake Lodge. And that's one of the spots that we stay, um, especially at the ladies workshop. Um, we spent a whole week at this beautiful, iconic lodge in the Canadian Rockies. And 
so the girls will like show up and they're like, I can't believe I'm standing in this place, this exact spot where you did, you know, where you took these pictures and put together this tutorial. Like it's so surreal to be here after I was just looking at that spot last night. So that's kind of cool. That is rad. Don't you, one of the last things I wanted to bring up before we go is you have a pilot's license of some sort, don't you? Yeah, I do. I am. I have a private pilot's license. <laughs> So I think I mentioned that I love to learn like anything. I love to learn anything. And years ago when I was, um, before I was in school, I had gone to an air show and I won um, a discovery flight. So basically they take you up uh, in the plane and you get to like maneuver the stick. And meanwhile, your your guide or your instructor is behind you on the rudder pedals and you have no idea what's going on or why the plane's flying, but you can like steer it around and, and have the experience of flying. And I did that and I was hooked. It was so cool. It was the coolest thing ever. And I just committed to, to learning everything about it. And so I did, I got my pilot's license and I even had my own plane for a little while. Um, it was a Cessna 182 RG turbo and yeah, I ended up selling it after a fuel leak. That's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> and and then when I started school, I didn't I didn't fly very much. So you are such a badass. Like <laughs> what? <laughs> who who is who is Rachel Jones Ross? Yeah, so I'll tell you some another bizarre little factoid that most people don't know about me. I grew up on a farm with no running water or electricity until I was 13 years old. What? <laughs> yeah. So basically, if there's a zombie apocalypse, I'm your girl. Like, yeah. I can <laughs> off the land. I could probably, you know, fly us somewhere in a pinch. Might not be able to land at this point, but, you know. What was that? Like, what was your <laughs> first interaction with... I mean, probably not that weird, because you'd probably going to school and rant like you were exposed to it you just didn't have it right so it uh, uh i was kind of exposed to it so i did about half of my k through 12 on correspondence so i was mm. homeschooled which basically means i was self-taught and um as an adult that really bites me in the butt sometimes because when you teach yourself how to read you don't always pronounce words correctly <laughs> so every once in a while like especially you know when i in my early 20s, I was like constantly saying words wrong because I taught myself how to how to read. Um, so I was somewhat exposed to the outside world when I went to school, but it was limited, you know, in school. I, I didn't watch TV. I didn't buy magazines. I didn't, you know, there was just a lot of stuff I wasn't exposed to. So for me, pop culture was this like I didn't understand anything. You know, if I went to school and they were referencing a TV show, my classmates or whatever, I like I had no concept of what was going on. And it it was really awkward, you know. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure that's why I ended up in psychology, <laughs> just so I could understand how humans work, you know. You're like people are weird. They keep talking about this Britney <laughs> Spears thing and I have no idea what they're or talking about. <laughs> references or whatever it was, you know, back <laughs> in the eighties. But yeah, it was crazy. So just not being exposed to things like pop culture. It just, I, I would have a conversation with somebody and I would never know what to do with my hands. So I would sit on them because otherwise I was just like, mm -hmm. with their hands, you yeah. know, it was just weird stuff. Um, it took a long time to, to, um, 
yeah, I don't know if I, I'm probably still that farm kid that was running around in bare feet, you know, uh, like for, for <laughs> years of my life. But I have, I have an ask for you. So we're coming up on time here. I have another podcast interview in, in 30 minutes. Okay. I really wanted to get into your personal story because you have a very interesting, a really interesting story and, and background and you've been through a lot of adversity in your life. And I think it's a story that a lot of people could learn from and, and grow from. And I think, you know, those, those stories I think are important to be told to people. Uh, but we don't have time to do it today. So I'd love to have you back on the podcast again for a second okay. time yeah. where we can dive deeper into uh, your personal story. But I wanted to, the ask is for you not to share it with anyone else. Okay, deal. That's okay. I'm like super awkward about talking about it anyway. So, um, but not with you. I didn't, I was gonna say, I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> it's the big smile. Like, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, Princess <laughs> cool. <laughs> Um, you're so awesome. Before we, before we wrap this up, uh, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. I know you, you know, you've been under the weather. You were telling me that your voice wasn't feeling that well. Uh, so thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and, and chat with me today. Before I let you go, I would love for you to, uh, share some words of love or, and encouragement with the AOV community. That's kind of how we end the podcast. So, uh, whenever you're ready, feel free to deliver uh, whatever message you want to deliver. You'd think I'd have a like a clearer way of saying that after like a thousand episodes of this podcast, but like I always just mumble through that part. But anywho, you know what I mean. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, so, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here. It's it means a lot to me to be able to share my stories with you and that people are actually interested in hearing them. Um, yeah, we're all in this together. You know, our community of photographers is actually really small and the more we can support each other, the more we're going to get out of our own creative journeys. So if you ever need anything or you have questions, you can absolutely hit me up um, on social and I'm happy to answer any questions. I'm very good at answering Sony questions. So if you're having a hard time navigating that menu or you just have a question about shooting something or auroras or whatever, I'm, I'm available. Um, so yeah, just thank you for letting me be part of your community. And, and I look forward to doing this again. Ladies and gentlemen, Rachel Jones Ross, that's at Rachel underscore Jones underscore Ross on Instagram. Make sure to give her a follow, check out her work, say hello, and be sure to hit that subscribe button and share this episode with your friends and stay tuned for another episode of the Art of Visuals podcast. Until next time, my friends, peace. Now you can feed your passion for photography, video, and audio, and pick up VIP 360 perks at the same time. Enjoy two-day shipping, a 60-day return policy, one-year membership to Printique for all your printing needs, and so much more. Make sure to check out Adorama's VIP 360 program. I use it. I love it. 
The two-day shipping is amazing, just like Amazon, but the 60-day return policy is epic for creators. You really get to check out the gear, make sure it's something that fits your, your gear bag, and if you don't like it, you can always send it back. So check out Adorama.com.